Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Have you ever lost your mind? Okay. Already you're much more engaged than nine, so I'm encouraged about that. Like, I mean, lost your mind. So our first year of marriage, I've talked about this before, but it was, it was bad. Like, it was really, really bad. And everybody's story is not that way, by God's grace. It's been really good since then. So I'm about to tell you if you're like, I can't, I don't want that guy's a pastor. The good news is it's gotten a lot better. But our first year of marriage was crazy, man. And we lost our mind over and over again. And I don't know if this is anybody else, whether you're married or just in a relationship. You ever have fights that are, I mean, epically bad, but then later on, you don't really remember what the fight was about. You just remember the carnage of the fight. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. Um, So we had one of those. And now as I look back, this is early on, first couple months, we could write a book about the first couple months. We had this blow out crazy. And here's the thing about marriage, man. It exposes things in you that you did not know were in you. Like before I got married, I thought I was amazing. If I can be that, I thought she's lucky to have me like this is. And then I'm just telling you, that's what I thought. And then getting into marriage, you're like, dang it. I didn't even know that was in there. Like I thought it was a pretty chill guy. And there was things that I was just like, what, where is this coming from? So one night we had this massive fight and I do not remember the fight, but I remember just losing my mind. I remember going into the bathroom and the sink was running and I just, as hard as I could, cause I had just had to let out my aggression. I'm not an angry person, but I slammed the sink down and immediately the whole sink just cracked. Like I did that hard. And I'm thinking this is out of control. And then simultaneously real thought in the back of my mind was, that's pretty cool that I just broke that sink. Um, really, like that simultaneously was going on. And, and then later, you can't make this stuff up. If anybody ever asks you to become a pastor and get married within a couple weeks, turn them down. Do not do that. So we're trying to lead a church of like 20 people at the time through this dysfunction and figure it out. We go to dinner with somebody that night and they're like, hey, we want to be a part of your church, which was like a big community group at the time. But they're like, you, you need to know how <laughs> messed up we are. And I'm like, let me tell you a story. Um, not from five years ago, but 15 minutes ago, uh, right before we got in the car. And so I told the story and it, like, it was just crazy. We just lose, there's one, can I tell you one other story real quick? I feel like it's kind of therapeutic. I wasn't originally planning on doing this, but one time we were moving a couple, same time frame, and they moved in the same neighborhood about seven houses apart. And so we would go in, help them move, and we would just walk down the sidewalk. And for some reason, nobody else was with us. We would walk out of the house and we would just, and I know you're thinking, could you guys not get 
like some kind of semblance of control? And the answer is no, we could not. And so we were just yelling at each other on the top of our lungs. And then we did what some of you guys do. And I, I rail on you about all the time, which is lie. We'd walk into the house and immediately we'd be like, oh, this is amazing. We love your house. Act like nothing had happened. And it just, we did this back and forth for I don't know how long. At one point, I don't know if I can say this or not. Like it was so bad that she threw a ring at me down the sidewalk and like, it, it just was, so I say all that to say, listen, no matter how bad it is right now, Jesus can redeem and restore and bring your marriage back to life. Um, it is possible. So uh, you just need to know that. But we, we would lose our mind over and over and over again. I've got more stories I won't even tell you. And um, it's gotten much better since then, you just need to know that. But we, we would lose our mind. And my whole point is this is, I think the church has lost its mind. And I don't mean like lost, like sometimes like that, but I mean, intellectually at some level, I feel like we have lost our minds. And um, it, it doesn't help that there's a lot of stereotyping. One of the things that like I hate is, I feel like Christianity a lot of times is represented by some um, backwoods guy on the History Channel that's deliverance-esque shotgun, I love Jesus. Like that doesn't help. But I think at some level we fed into that and we deserve a little bit of that stereotyping. And so here's what I wanna say for a few minutes. And, and let me talk to you as longtime Jesus followers for a second, um, because what I'm about to say, some of it might give you some different categories and mess with your mind a little bit. And so I just want you to not leave till the end and track with me and argue with me in your mind and think about some of this. And, and I'm okay with that. But here's what I wanna say. Some of you, um, you were handed um, a Bible at some point, and somebody just said, listen, this is the inspired word of God, which I believe that it is. Our church is founded on that, but they're just like, the Bible says, and just have faith and just believe. And, and you got a little Bible that was saran wrapped in Sunday school. And that was enough for you. And you were like, I, no, I believe it. And the Bible says, and, and you've never wavered. You've never looked back since then. And that's an incredible gift. But here's what I want you to do. If you're in that category, and in some ways I'm in that category, though there was a period of my life where, because this is my personality, I had to break everything apart. And in college, there was kind of a crisis of faith for a while to go, am I just believing this because my mom and dad believe this, or do I really believe this? But what I want to say to some of you as longtime Jesus followers is that I encourage you to lean in over the next few minutes for the sake of a generation of people who are leaving the church. And for the sake of a next generation that we care so much about that are in circles right now, and they're dealing with some things in culture that for many of you, even 15 years ago, you didn't have to deal with. And I would encourage some of you on, on this account is that you would lean in for the sake of some of your adult kids that have walked away from faith. And they've got questions. Because here's the thing, some of you have walked away from the whole following Jesus thing because at some point along the way, this false dichotomy was presented to you where you felt like when the questions started to hit and saran wrapped Bible, Jesus just didn't seem to measure up anymore. And you all of a sudden had this idea that, that you had to lose your mind to follow Jesus. And there was maybe a conflict presented for you where science and psychology and even philosophy, philosophy were at odds with really embracing Jesus and remaining intellectually honest. Or you were around some environments or churches or Christians where they would just wholly dismiss things that they didn't fully understand. You would ask them like, have you read anything? No. Have you talked to anybody? No. And it's just so easy to reject, so easy to just kind of segment. And so you got to a place where you thought, I don't know if I can follow Jesus without losing my mind. 
And then when you would ask really legit questions, the answer would be, well, you just need to believe. You just need to have faith. The Bible says. And what has happened in our generation, because we have had leverage and influence in the West as followers of Jesus for so long, that unbeknownst to us, the anchor of our faith shifted over time because everybody in culture just kind of accepted the Bible. Everybody had respect for Jesus. Everybody, there was a baseline of, of, of a worldview, even if you hadn't embraced Jesus as a Messiah. And so the, the anchor of our faith from the first century began to shift, and I would make the argument, and we we stopped thinking. And so when people would have questions, we would just kind of shut down the questions to go, but the Bible says, and you just need to have faith. Jesus said, you just need to believe. And I just want to tell you, it is much more robust than that. And if you walked away, you may have walked away from a filtered version of Jesus that doesn't exist. That you may have walked away from this false dichotomy of following Jesus and losing your mind, and that dichotomy does not exist. Jesus never asked you to lose your mind. Like, think about this. Um, a lot of times we miss this, but the whole entrance of Jesus onto planet Earth, all the Old Testament prophets had predicted a Messiah's coming. Everybody was waiting for it. You know the story, a lot of you, right? And so Jesus shows up and they're expecting, okay, man, we want to bring the kingdom in. We've been talking about this in this series. We're ready for a political leader. We're ready for an emperor. We're ready for somebody who's got power. We're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to take back Israel. We're going to set up our influence. We're going to return to the golden age. Like that was their whole focus. And in that culture, everybody saw um, heroic, somebody who's heroic as they have power. They're a king, they're an emperor. And so when Jesus shows up, that's what everybody is waiting for to usher in that kingdom. And Jesus shows up on the planet earth and he shows up as a teacher. He shows up as a rabbi. And they're like, no, 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 that's not, that's not, no. Like, that's not what we needed. You're not, gonna, you're not gonna teach Rome out of power. A rabbi is not really what we needed. And Jesus would begin to teach and his teaching was unlike anybody else. Like over and over again, it said as people listened to him during his three years of ministry that they were amazed by his teaching, that he taught with authority that nobody else had. And Jesus, that's what I love about Jesus. He's the one guy that didn't cite precedents. He didn't cite sources. Jesus was the guy who stood up as he began to begin his ministry and go, hey, truly, I tell you. Like who? Me. I'm telling you, here's how life works. I'm telling you, here's how marriage works. I'm telling you, here's how all of this fits together. Here's how anger destroys your soul. Here's how sex works. I created the whole thing. I don't need to cite anybody. I don't need to cite presidents. precedents. I, like I am is here. The creator of the universe is here. The Messiah is here. And Jesus began to teach. And in fact, Paul says this in Colossians. He says that in Jesus was all of the wisdom and knowledge of the world, the universe. What's interesting is Paul stu studied under secular historians would tell you the greatest rabbi of the first century, Gamil. Paul never said that about him. Paul, Paul attributed to Jesus, Paul who was unbelievably educated, one of the smartest men in his generation, tries to kill Christians, then becomes a Christian, says in Jesus is all of the wisdom and the knowledge in the world. And then... One day Jesus stands up and a group of people are around him and he quotes this really familiar passage that was known as the Shema. And every Jewish person who had grown up knew it, but Jesus adds something to it that was 
Kind of unbelievable in a first century culture of the pantheon of gods where he says this, Mark records it. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And everybody who grew up, they had heard that before. Yeah, we get that. And I want you to love God with all of your soul. And then Jesus in this interaction adds this little part that was unheard of and unbelievable. And he says, I want you to love me with all of your, what's the word? All of your, say it again, you gotta help me preach 1045, all of your mind. That, that literally part of worshiping Jesus, getting to know Jesus, growing in intimacy with Jesus is not just a hard thing. It's not just a soul thing. It is an intellectual thing. And Jesus is inviting his followers in the first century. I want you to be fearless. I don't want you to be afraid of questions. I don't want you to be afraid of investigating. I don't want you to be afraid of intellectual curiosity. I came as a rabbi, I came as a teacher and I'm introducing something new to the world. And it is not just based on have faith in faith or just believe. It is based on something that I'm gonna do in history. And I want you to follow me and be intellectually honest because I've called you to love me with all of your mind. And according to John Ortberg, the history and the education of the world began to change. Like, think about it. Have you ever thought about this? We've got four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which in the first century to copy and to write anything down was unbelievably costly, unbelievably expensive. And we have four gospels of the life of a guy who started out as a Jewish carpenter and became a rabbi from no name, Nazareth. Luke says, and there's so much more than that that weren't even included. There are so many documents of people who sat down and documented the life of Jesus. Like, think about this that just the gospels have been translated into 2,527 languages. Do you know what next up is? Don Quixote at 60 languages. All intellectuals, they, they judge kind of their intellectual superiority based on how often they're cited. And on that basis, Jesus' intellectual impact in history is unprecedented. In fact, I love this quote. Um, Harvey Cox, who's a Harvard professor, said this. Are you still with me at the 1045? He said, the words specifically of the Sermon on the Mount are the most luminous, most quoted, most analyzed, most contested, and most influential in all of human history. This may sound like an overstatement, but it's not. And then Jesus toward the end of his ministry. And, and actually after he dies and he's about to ascend into heaven, he gathers about 120 people and, and he's like, you guys are gonna go change the world. I'm gonna peace out. I'm gonna leave you with my spirit and you're gonna go change the world. And he says these famous words with these guys on the hillside and they're like, how's that gonna happen? How are we gonna do that? We have no influence. We have no leverage. We have no might. We have no power. We're being overrun by Rome. Like, how is that gonna happen? And Jesus says these famous words, known as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples, followers of Jesus of all of the nations. Somebody's like, well, do you know how big all of the nations are? And Jesus is like, shut up guys. You don't know how big all of the nations are. You have a very, very narrowed view of what's gonna happen in history, but I'm telling you, you're gonna take this to all the nations. And then he says this in verse 20 and teaching them. Are you serious? Like this is the way forward. This is our leverage. This is what you want to be the foundation of this? 
Jesus is like, I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. It's really interesting as you, you study, like Confucius never said that. Buddha never said that. Socrates never said that. And in that moment, Jesus is like, I, I want you to go and educate the world. And the education of the world began to change. And, and Christians, obviously, based on classic learning, I'm not making the case that Christians started all this, but I'm telling you, as you begin to study history, as early Jesus followers in the first century took Jesus' command seriously, and they began to do exactly what Jesus said, because they were following a man who said, I want you to love me with all of your mind. I want you to worship me with all of your mind. I want you to come and investigate history, because this is not just about faith in something that you faith into reality. It's about something that I've done. I don't want you to lose your mind. The opposite. I want you to love and worship me with your mind. And so they began to go to women and to slaves and to men in culture. And they began to teach. Justin Martyr in 50 AD started a school in Ephesus. It was Martin Luther who came along later and said, it is one of my goals to see the education and the literacy of the world. They began to create monasteries, and you can go look all this up for yourself, and those monasteries began to produce universities, and they were founded on the words of Jesus. 138 of the first universities, 92% of them were founded by followers of Jesus, starting with Cambridge and then Oxford. Oxford was actually founded on Psalm 27, one that says this, that the Lord is my light, because they believed that they served a rational God who created everything, who had invited them into relationship and he didn't ask them to lose their mind and they began to take it seriously. Eventually, they founded Yale and Princeton and Harvard's founding verse was John 17, three, that they would know God. Then later in 1780 in Great Britain, there was all these marginalized children, illiteracy, they were uneducated, and they began to start a program to literally educate, teach how to read and write that later became known as Sunday school. And they say within 50 years of that in 1780, 1.5 million children were educated. And secular historians would tell you that it is the largest volunteer educational effort in the history of the world. So I say, oh, I could keep going, but I just say all that to say this, Jesus did not ask you to lose your mind. Jesus did not ask you to somehow set it aside. It was Jesus in the first century, unlike the pantheon of gods or anything that was known in religion to say, I want you to follow me with your heart and your soul. And I want you to follow me with your mind. And I'm going to do something in history. So it's not just faith in some ethereal thing. It's faith in what I did, what was documented, what happened. And so I want you to give me another look. And you can come with your Sunday school childlike faith faith. And that is great. And you may never question. And Jesus invites that. But you can also come with your adult skepticism because Jesus says something has happened in history. And I am inviting you into something that is intellectually robust. It's why I showed up as a teacher and as a rabbi. And I'm inviting you to discover me, to investigate me and to love me with all of your mind. And what I am offering and what I'm inviting you into is not as easily to, it's not as easy to dismiss as you think. I want you to love me. I want you to follow me. I want you to investigate with me without losing your mind. 
Like, I, th- I think there's two things real quick. Can I give you two things? Are you still with me at the 1045? And the, the first one is this in terms of how I wanna challenge us to take our minds back is that we need to reshift the anchor of our faith. For so long, we have had this baseline of belief where people just accept this without any thoughts about it, without any reservations. And over time, we have forgotten how to think. We have lost sight of the anchor of our faith. And I'm telling you, the anchor of our faith is not just believe, just have faith. The Bible says our faith is not anchored to a book. Our faith is anchored to an event in history. Like, here's what you need to know. The Bible did not catapult Christianity. The resurrection is what catapulted Christianity. For the first 300 years, here's something you got to consider. There was no completed Bible. There was no New Testament. There were scraps of writings. There was no church. There was no leverage. There was no, hey, the Bible says there was none of that. And thousands of people began to embrace this former Jewish carpenter turned rabbi. How do you explain that? That did not, this did not launch and catapult Christianity. It was an event in history that catapulted Christianity. So to go, well, I just don't believe it because I don't believe the Bible. Well, you got to look at 300 years of history to go, how did this man from the ghetto begin to take over the world and turn the Roman empire upside down? There was no Bible. It was an event called the resurrection that catapulted everything. And it's why you know the name Jesus. Like, here's how I put it. Here's how I would say it. Your, the title of your car did not manufacture your car. I, I don't know if you got that. So let me try a different example. Um, your birth certificate didn't birth you, right? Like hopefully if I went to your mom and she's still alive and like, hey, listen, um, like what's more valuable, the birth certificate or your son or daughter? Hopefully... I'm not going to speak for your mom, but hopefully it's you. It's, it's this, your, her son, her daughter. Christianity with no followers and no church and no leverage began to move and people embraced it by the thousands. And some of you have walked away because of a house of cards and a straw man argument and some obscure questions about, I don't understand Genesis and Leviticus and Revelation seems like an epic video game and why circumcision, that's weird. And some other, where did the dinosaurs go? And I'm just telling you, that is not the anchor for our faith. I'll give you all those questions. I think there's answer to those questions. You give me five hours, we can sit down and talk, but it is not the epicenter of why we're following Jesus. The epicenter is something happened in history that I think is undeniable that launched the whole thing before any of your objections were even present. And you've got to look at that to go, how did this man change the world? The only explanation is he walked out of a grave alive. It all starts there. One day, and listen, if you've got questions, I, I'm, I sound like I'm yelling. I just get passionate. My, my invitation is, I, I just want you to give this another look. Like the bottom line is my kids that I know are going to move into teenagers and then go off to, to college before I know it. This is something I've thought a lot about over the last several years, because I, I want to move them back to what is the anchor for our faith and let them know that our faith is not fragile. There is answers to questions. Jesus did something in history. One time Jesus 
walks into the temple. And, and you know, when Jesus walked into the temple, all of the people in the first century thought, well, he's going to take his rightful place with the religious elite. And Jesus walks into the temple, and rather than taking his place with the religious elite, he began to flip tables over. And he began to really just identify the fact that he's about to dismantle the whole thing because religion had become about power and had lost sight of people and they were looking at the wrong things and answering all, asking all the wrong questions and Jesus is like, it's all gonna change. And so he begins to just dismantle the temple and all the religious guys come to Jesus to go, who, who do you think you are? Like on what authority or what grounds do you have the right to come into our temple and begin to flip over the tables? And Jesus says this in John 2.18, John records it. They say to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, well, the Bible says. <laughs> Jesus answered, well, you just need to believe. Or Jesus answered, listen, you don't need proof, fool. Now, Jesus answered and said, destroy this temple and I'm gonna raise it again in three days. They're like, say what? <laughs> You're going to do what? And then Jesus gives them a clue into what he's talking about. A verse later, verse 21, he says, but the temple that he had spoken of was his body, meaning I am going to do something in history. You want proof? You want a sign? Jesus doesn't go, you don't need a sign. You don't need proof. You don't need, just have faith. Just believe the Bible. No, Jesus said, listen, I'm gonna give you proof. I'm gonna give you a sign. I'm gonna do something in history. I don't want you to lose your mind. I've created you with that. I want you to use it to worship me and to know me and understand my love and love me. So you want proof? You want sign? It's not about just have faith or the Bible says, I'm about to do something in history that's gonna be documented and verified, and there's gonna be proof around it that is almost undeniable if you really look at it because I want you to follow me with your mind. So I'm gonna do something in history so that you will know that I am who I say I am, the resurrected Jesus Messiah who came to offer salvation to the world. The invitation literally is to examine history. As legit as all of your pushbacks are about unanswered prayers, I get that. Your aunt's cancer, I get that. The fact that you're walking through something right now and you can't connect the dots and it's, it's excruciatingly painful, I get that. But that's not the anchor of our faith. That's not the anchor for why we follow Jesus. And I said in week one of this series that you need to abandon whatever you can't examine, but Jesus invites you. We don't need to fear this. We don't need to be nervous about this. Truth can stand on its own. Jesus has done something in history. And so he says, I want you to examine, not just me. I want you to examine history. I want you to look at the anchor of our faith because if it is true, despite your unanswered questions, your cancer, what you're walking through right now, now what you don't understand, game over. If a man dies and walks out of the grave alive, you can spend the rest of your life trying to answer questions about the seeming inconsistencies of the Bible. But to be intellectually honest, you got to follow the guy who walked out of a grave and brought himself back from the dead. And that is the anchor of our faith. 
Listen, let me just give you a couple things real quick because my goal is not to make this apologetical. I just want to encourage you to think. You've got to start asking some questions. You've got to ask that why for 300 years, thousands of people began to follow Jesus with no Bible. Once you get through that question, you've got to ask, why would Jesus make a claim that would be so easy to disprove? I mean, come on, come up with something else, but you're going to die and come back to life. You got to figure out why you would even go that route and why hundreds of people publicly documented the fact that they saw a resurrected Jesus at one time. You got to look at that. You got to investigate that. You got to answer those questions. I mean, come on, like mass hallucination isn't a thing. How could that happen? happen. Our faith is not fragile. Jesus did not ask you to lose your mind. You got to ask the question, why did every Jesus follower abandon faith after the crucifixion? Why did every, they document their disbelief. And the only explanation is because he was dead. Every single one of them abandoned. And then you've got to ask the question, why did they change their mind and believe again? Why did that happen? How did that happen? What explanation is there for that? What makes Jesus so different than any other leader that tried to start a movement is that no other leader claimed to be a resurrected savior. Nobody did that. And Jesus, unlike other religions that got moving forward, when, they, when those leaders died, there was some kind of teaching that they wanted to move into society. That wasn't the case with Jesus. Jesus was the message. Jesus was the teaching. Jesus was bold enough to stand up to go, I am the resurrection and the life. You're looking at him. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't give anybody in first century culture or 2,000 years later the advantage of just seeing him as some kind of prophet or rabbi. He didn't give that option. He is either a lunatic or he's the savior of the world because he didn't give you any middle ground. I'm gonna die and I'm gonna bring myself back to life. And so you have got to take into account why would everybody leave and stop following Jesus and then after Easter week, they began to become fierce proclaimers of the truth and they gave up their lives for it. Mark was running out of the garden naked on Easter weekend. Peter was cowering to a schoolgirl in a courtyard. How did that change? You got to grapple with that. You got to ask that question. And then when you get through that question, you got to ask, why isn't there a single record of someone producing a body? You need to ask that. You need to investigate that. You need to look at that. Why was there never any monument set up to his tomb? 2,000 years later, we don't even know where his tomb is. Every other leader that dies, they create a shrine out of their tomb. Why does nobody produce a body? If they do, Christianity is left on the ash heap of history. You got to ask the question, if none of Jesus' followers were willing to die for him while he was alive, why did they die for him after he was dead? Why would they do that? Why would they run and cower and then eventually be willing to die be stoned to death, be crucified. If you get through that question and you figure that out, you need to ask, why is there no reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD in any of the gospels? Why is that not recorded? It was apocalyptic in the first century that ancient Judaism was dead when Rome came in and destroyed the temple. Not one stone was left on another and not a single gospel writer records that. Nobody in the New Testament leverages that to go, Jesus predicted that the temple would be destroyed and here it happened. There's only one explanation. The gospels were written within 70 years, I believe 35 years. It was not 
100 or 150 years later when all of the eyewitnesses die off, there is no account, there is no written documentation of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. You gotta answer that question. You gotta grapple with that. You gotta figure that out. And I just wanna tell you, Jesus did not ask you to lose your mind and this faith is not fragile. Let, let me, you, you've got to ask in a Middle East culture, why didn't the disciples make up a story of a spirit resurrection rather than a physical resurrection? Everybody would have believed that. That was commonplace in Middle East culture. Like, ah, we're just kidding. It's not a physical resurrection. It's a spiritual resurrection. They wouldn't have had to die. If they produced a body, they still could have played that off. Well, we didn't say it was a physical. We just said spirit. Why did nobody come up with that story in order to preserve their life? You need to wrestle that to the ground. You need to ask that question. You need to figure it out. And then if you answer all of those and your objection is, well, I just don't believe the Bible. It is not that simple. What do you not believe about the Bible? The Bible is a collection. It is a library that over time was bound together, but you've got to go case by case. You've got to go documentation by documentation. You need to start with Matthew first and you need to look at Matthew. You need to look at what Matthew documented. You need to work to try to answer the questions and undermine that. And then when you get through Matthew, you need to start to take Mark. Mark is a whole book by itself that was written in the first century. It was probably actually written by Peter. Mark wrote it down, but you can kind of see it in the way the book moves. It's just very to the point. You got to look at Mark. You got to investigate. You got to ask the questions. Then you need to get to Luke. Luke puts unbelievable detail in his documents. So the first century, he's basically challenging them. Fact check me. I'm going to give you all the places. I'm going to give you the times. I'm going to give you the people. Go look them up. Go have coffee with them. You got to investigate Luke. You got to figure that out. You got to ask those questions. And then when you get through all of that, you need to look at John and you need to figure out how to disprove John. And John John's account of everything that happened because John wrote a whole book by himself. And then if you get through that, you need to consider James. James thought his brother was a nut job. James is the brother of Jesus. And then somehow something changed and James, the brother of Jesus, believed that his brother did not need to be institutionalized, but actually rose from the grave and was the savior and Messiah of the world. Like, I don't care how amazing my brother is, he could turn all the fish and loaves and multiply it and turn water into wine. I'm never believing that my brother is the Messiah, the savior of the world. You gotta ask the question, how in the world does that happen? And then when you get through all that, you gotta investigate Paul. Paul, one of the greatest intellectuals in the first century, tries to crucify Christians, becomes one, believe that Jesus rose from the grave. My whole point is just this. This is not a fragile faith. Jesus did not ask you to lose your mind. It is not just believe, just have faith, or the Bible says it is much more robust than that. And Jesus, the savior of the world, invites you and invites me. I want you to investigate me and I want you to love me with all of your minds. And you don't have to lose it to follow me. Can I just give you one more thing? I want to talk to us as Jesus followers for just a second. I think this is the second thing. And I'll try to make it quick is we need to get back to loving God with our minds. We have shifted the anchor of our faith and we have lost, we have lost the robustness of our faith. And I think we're walking around like this thing is so fragile. Here's the reality, to discover truth regardless of where you find it is to worship Jesus. 
to discover truth regardless of where you find it is to worship Jesus. In the first century, look this up for yourself, when the Romans, Rome, Romans were overrun by the barbarians, that it was the Christians who were actually the greatest preserver of what they would describe as pagan ancient literature. They went in when it was all being burned and it was the Christians who, was, who were preserving it because they believed that to study and find truth, no matter where you found it, they would say this, was literally thinking God's thoughts because God is the creator of all truth. And wherever you find truth, you find Jesus. It was, it was St. Um, Augustine, if you're pretentious, who said this, that it's just St. Augustine, if you're not, um, all truth is God's truth. Can I just say this? Let me just preach for a second. And I'll wind this down. All right, Warren, are you guys still with me? Can I, can I just go for one more second? We have got to be fearless and engaging culture. There was a day when the church led the way in terms of creating art and culture and entertainment and literature. And now we have moved to a place where we just create subculture. And in many cases, it's weird. In many cases, I love you, but some of you, you're weird. We were never called to disengage culture. We were called to engage culture and we have nothing to fear because we serve a resurrected Jesus who is the author of all truth. We have lost the ability to sit down with people we don't agree with, to read things we don't agree with, to sit down with somebody of a different sexual orientation, to just sit down with somebody who sees culture differently, to sit down with somebody who we don't fully understand and to find truth from those people and in those places. I learned from my agnostic and atheist friends and my gay friends and people that I don't necessarily agree with because here's the reason. They are in the Imago day. They are made in the image of God. They have a God in heaven that has his thumbprint on their life and he is the author of all truth. And I believe there is absolute truth that is rooted and founded in the scripture, but God has unleashed truth throughout the universe in people and places that you would never expect. And a long time ago, Jesus followers stopped learning, stopped listening, stopped leaning in, and we are allowing our faith to atrophy. We are keeping our worship from being at its maximum impact. And I think there's God's love and grace that he wants to reveal to us in a deeper way. And we are cut off from it because we don't understand that all truth originated from him. What are you so afraid of? Why can't we listen? Why can't we Learn. We serve a God who said, I want you to love me with all of your mind. And I just think the church needs to get back to that. We're in a place right now where we're in an echo chamber. And we won't read if we disagree with some of it. We tear books off of Christian bookshelves because there's a curse word somewhere in there. We make really lame music and sometimes really lame movies, and we are not true to keeping with truth and the reality of culture. And I'm telling you, we have got to get that back. And I think what a lot of us fear is that somehow we're going to get some objection or whatever that's going to undermine our faith. And I just want to remind you, you serve a resurrected Jesus. Let's get our minds back. Let's be able to sit at a table with people that we don't agree with and see the marks of our God in heaven in them as somebody that we're eyeball to eyeball with that's made in the image of God, which means I can learn from you. And in fact, my savior, some of you have never been taught this, can reveal more of himself through you because he is the author of all truth. One of the things that we've done, and, and I gotta go quick, is that we have, we have created this false dichotomy where we have 
really misapplied the Bible and its primary function to reveal Jesus to the world. Like we've unnecessarily pitted psychology, science, and philosophy against Christianity. Some of you walked away because at some point along the way, you felt like there was this undeniable evidence and then there was this theology and you felt like there was, there was this warring between the two. And so you couldn't hang on to your intellectual honesty and follow Jesus. And the reason is because we've misapplied the Bible. Can I just say this to you real quick? And some of you, I know I'm gonna make you think, but it's all right, we need to do this. The Bible's primary function is to reveal Jesus to the world. It was in Genesis, I'm gonna get the whole thing created. Sin broke it, everything went off the rails. You need help, you can't save yourself. There's dysfunction inside of you. Jesus shows up in Matthew and like, help is here. I'm the Messiah, I'm the one that's been promised. I'm gonna give you answers for your past. I'm gonna change your view of you as you see me. I'm gonna give you a new way forward through faith and trust. I'm gonna give you salvation. I'm gonna give you the meaning of life. And I wanna reveal to you through this, who I am, what I'm about, what it means to follow me. This book is to reveal who Jesus is to the world. And in many cases, we have created a false dichotomy because we are using this for something that it's not. In most cases, science informs theology, not the other way around. Because this is primary use was to reveal Jesus to the world. Do you know this? That it was Christians that launched the modern science movement. They didn't create it. I would never make that assumption, but they they launched it because they believe unlike the pantheon of gods that were random and would rain down fire from heaven and couldn't be understood, that God was different, that God was orderly, that God was rhythmic, that God was predictable and he created the world. And then the scripture says he stopped creating and he left an orderly, predictable, observable universe where he could be made known. And he is omniscient, which means we're not just gonna know it all. So he invites us to study. He invites us to investigate. He created the heavens and the earth. And he says, now I want you to see me and worship me through what I've done in creation. And it was early followers of Jesus that believed that science was a way to redeem and to restore culture and get to know their observable, predictable, explainable God because they believe. And it wasn't the unexplainable that points to God. It is the explainable that points to God. Professor Allen of Princeton said this, we have begun to realize from its very birth that science owed a great deal to Christianity. And so I just want to say this for some of you, the filtered version of Jesus that's anti-knowledge and anti-psychology and anti-philosophy, that Jesus doesn't exist. Let Let me give you one more example. If if your kid, if you have a kid, was in some kind of accident, like I told the story of a few months ago, um, my, actually it was a few years ago when my girl busted her head open and uh, we made that a very dramatic scene that um, entailed all of Hillsborough County coming to Publix and for six stitches and it was way overblown. But like in that moment, here's where I know that as a Jesus follower, regardless of whether you're arguing with me in your mind or not, when it comes to medicine, you're all about science. Like when my little girl hit her head, I didn't bring her to church. But we got to get to church as quick as we can. When I went into the doctor's office, I didn't want the doctor to sit across from me and go, hey, she's bleeding profusely. So we'll get to that in a second. But here's what I think God is trying to teach you right now, right? When it comes to medicine, we are all about science because we want a natural explanation to a natural solution. 
And listen, I think the church has been behind in dealing with and ministering to people with mental illness, understanding the body, dismissing psychology, creating this dichotomy of science in the scripture when God created all truth. And those things have actually been revealed to us so that we can understand ourselves, apply the scriptures to our life better as we understand our brokenness. And we have got to understand that all truth is his truth. And when it comes to illness and sickness, we are all about science. So I just want to say this, in a lot of cases, when your theology conflicts with science, you have a theology problem. You don't have a science problem. And we've done a terrible job with our adult kids and with people going off to college campuses. And I'm going to be bold enough to bring us back to the anchor of our faith because I care about that. I care about a generation of students that are walking away because of questions that we can answer. And they've been presented with a house of cards argument. And it is much more robust than that. Our faith is not fragile. And I want to invite you back. And I want to invite some of the rest of us to begin to think again, that we serve a God that did something in history and he has called us. I want you to love me with your mind. I want you to give and get your faith back. I want you to stop fearing. And just like the Christians in the first century, they believed that every discovery in creation and among science was simply a discovery into how God did it. Because God is a God of all truth. So can, as we close, can I just say this for some of you? If you've walked away, and I have these conversations literally every single week, and so there are faces and names that constantly ignite passion in me. I just want to invite you back. I want to encourage you around the reality that Jesus did not ask you to lose your mind. And come on, at some level, shouldn't you want this to be true? That there is an answer for the injustice that that you struggle with. There is answers for the fact that you've got stuff from your past that you can't seem to let go of. That There is something that Jesus did to change your view of you. He gave you a new way forward in terms of meaning and depth and beauty that brings purpose to everything in life. Like you should want this to be true. And so I just want to encourage you to not have faith in faith. I'm not giving you, well, simply the Bible says, and you just need to believe. I want to invite you to begin to get your mind back. And I want you to investigate the anchor of why we follow Jesus. And it all starts with one question. Did Jesus rise from the grave? Not what happened to the dinosaurs, not the seeming inconsistencies. Why did God take my grandma? Why is he not answering my prayers? I don't understand what I'm walking through. All of those are legit things to grapple with, but it doesn't start there. It starts with, did Jesus rise from the grave? And if he did, even with all of your questions, game over. To be intellectually honest, you have to follow follow the resurrected savior. And, and can we, let, let me just one more thing. I just want to be honest with some of you real quick. And I, I really, I want you to be honest with you is that the reason you haven't embraced Jesus has nothing to do with an intellectual argument, does it? For some of you, the reason that you haven't embraced Jesus is because of the implications of embracing Jesus. You don't want to believe it was Thomas Nagel who said this. He's a professor at New York University. I don't agree with him on anything, but I respect him. He's a brilliant man. And he says this, I, I want atheism to be true. And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. 
It isn't that I don't believe in God and naturally hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. And for some of you, the very thing that we stumble over in regard to Jesus is the very thing that makes Jesus so amazing. He will never force his way on you. He will never twist your arm, but he invites you into relationship and you owe it to you even if you get to the end of it to go, I don't believe any of it. There is too much at stake for you to hide behind house of cards arguments and dismiss the Bible when that was never the foundation of our faith. And I just wanna encourage you, Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, when you seek me, you find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, Meaning if you are willing to examine by the same measure that you verify other facts and be intellectually honest, I think at the end of the day, as you look at history and what happened in the first century, I think you will be led to not a religious theological construct. You will be led to the person of Jesus who says, I want you to know me. And if you will come, if you will investigate, if you will stop fearing what you might find on the other end of that, you may find a relationship with the God of the universe who walked out of a grave alive and invites you into a personal relationship with him. And then last thing, man, is Jesus followers. And, and would you guys just stand with me all over the house? And um, you stand up the quicker I get done. It just puts natural pressure on me. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, I, I just want to encourage you that our faith is not fragile and we need to get our minds back. And we need to not fear where we may find truth, even if we disagree with some of the people that that truth is coming from, even if it's coming from unexpected places. We don't need to fear getting an answer or an argument that's gonna undermine our faith. You are clinging to something that is so much bigger than that. We serve a resurrected Jesus. Can I talk to you as parents? If you have students, you need to do everything you can to get them into environments now where they can be with people who they trust, they develop a relationship with, they can begin to unearth their questions before they get to being a sophomore on a college campus or university, and you need to encourage them to investigate and to place soccer and dance and whatever, all amazing things over building a foundation for your kid for the rest of your life is crazy. You, you need to move them into a place where you can help them grapple with this. And then I, I, I just want to end with this. The anchor of our faith is a resurrected Jesus. And so for some of you, I want you to begin to shift your thinking again, because right now you're walking through some things you don't understand and, and it's so hard and you don't know why they walked out or why you're dealing with this diagnosis. And I just want to remind you, not just on the basis that the Bible says, I believe the Bible, and not just on the basis of, well, I'm just having faith, but on the basis of something happened in history. One day Jesus is coming back. One day Jesus is going to take us home. One day Jesus is going to right every wrong. He went to the cross and he defeated to death. And when he walked out of the grave, it was basically him walking out of the octagon of death to rip away the keys of death, hell in the grave. And he is alive and you need to get off of your heels. Our faith is not fragile. 
And if you're wondering right now, does it matter? Does it count? Is, does, is any of this going anywhere? And you've had a dream die and you have things where you just want them to be different. One day, not just because you believe it and it becomes true, but because he resurrected Jesus, he is gonna make every injustice right. He is gonna right every wrong. He is gonna wipe away every tear. He is gonna give you every answer that you need. He is going to fulfill every dream. He is gonna lead you to a place to experience the more that you were created for. And I know it's hard. I know you don't have answers. I know we can't figure out why God would do that, but our faith is not fragile and we can walk through the darkest moments with confidence that Jesus is alive because something happened in history. You need to get your faith back. You need to get your confidence back. We need to get our mind back. And if you're walking through a place right now where it's just chaotic and there's no peace, if God can take a crucifixion and turn it into resurrection, he can take every bit of your chaos and turn it into peace. And he can take the rejection that you're feeling right now and turn it into redirection to move you to the place he wants you. And if you're in a place right now where you have just lost faith and lost hope that the God who walked out of a grave alive can turn every bit of your pain, in fact, he promises to do this into a platform for your good and for his glory. And so as we move forward, man, let's get our minds back. Would you guys just pray with me all over the house? Close your eyes, bow your heads. Jesus, I pray that you would just give us the grace right now we need in this moment to see what you want us to see. And Lord, it is only you. It is only your spirit that can move in the hearts of any individual to, to take them from where they are to where you wanna lead them. I can't do that. No argument can do that. No amount of text can do that. It is only Jesus and it is only the power of his spirit. And so I pray that wherever we are right now, you would meet us there. I pray for us as a church in an age of outrage, that God, we wouldn't lose our mind, that we would be the most gracious, the most confident, walk into any room and listen and learn and lean in and find truth wherever there is truth, understanding that it originates from you and that you would begin to ignite worship in us and an understanding of Jesus and his love and grace in a way that, that we maybe have never experienced before and that we would be light in our culture because we serve a savior that invited us to love him with all of our mind. And then he walked out of a grave alive. Today, if we're investigating, God, I pray that you would lead some who have, God, been handed this version of Jesus that doesn't even fully exist, and they would come back to the anchor of what all of this depends on. The very thing that Jesus said was proof and was a sign that Jesus is who he says he is. And God, as they come with their intellectual curiosity and are honest, I pray that you would lead them to faith and confidence in the person of Jesus. And I just ask all of this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, 
we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.